Good morning. I'm going to start reading from 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. I urge then, first of all, that petitions, prayers, intercession, and thanksgiving be made for all people, for kings and all those in authority, that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. This is good and pleases God, our Savior, who wants all people to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. This is the word of the Lord that is timely for us today. We pray first. We are talking this morning, the third and final series on kingdom culture. And I've been preparing and praying a lot for this message, knowing that we need to be sure what his kingdom agenda is for times such as these. We're going to look at this passage, and we're going to look at the ways that God is calling us to live, how he is calling us to live as his kingdom people. But first, Many of you know, or maybe if you don't know, that I spent a few years working at the Supreme Court. And during election season, it was always exciting in, in D.C. On my way to work, there was always this large banner in a building right behind the Supreme Court. And it said, I don't always agree with the president, but I always pray for him. And I think that if we hear anything this morning we need to be a people postured in prayer for our government, knowing that ultimately he is in control. That's what we've been talking about, kingdom culture. We define the kingdom of God as God's reign through God's people in God's place. So we talked about that God is in control. God is in control. Thank you, one person. For the rest of us, maybe that's news. God is in control. He created the world. He was and is and is to come. He is the king of heaven. And in this world, we will have trouble, says Jesus. So take heart for I have overcome the world. He has overcome the world. And one day he will come down and truly rule the world on earth as it is in heaven. He will bring heaven down and then he will be king truly over the world and there will be no wrong and there will be no division. There will be no sin. There will be no pain. There will be no tears. That's going to be a good day. It's not today. We live on earth. And so he chooses mystery to rule through his people. We talked about that you and I are created in the image of God. Male and female, he created them in his image. And we're called to rule. The first command was not to, you know, be good or, or show up to church. It was to rule and to cultivate and to make stuff out of this land and glorify God as we bear his image. But the problem was is that we defined how to rule by our own terms. And we rebelled against how he called us to rule. And so this tension... Thank you, Jesus, for forgiveness, for redemption. Thank you, Jesus, for a new identity as sons and daughters of the Lord Most High. He wants to rule in God's place. We 
want that place to be top down, it needs to start inside here, inside out. God's rule, God's reign through God's people in God's place. We talked about the heart. We talked about the family, how the number one institution that God calls us to prioritize is the family. Then we talked about the church last week, and we talked about how to posture and how to prioritize the church in our lives. And today we are talking about the country. A few things before we enter into this shark-infested water that is politics. Very important that I say these things before we get started first. As your pastor, my job is not to tell you who to vote for or even how to live. It's not. I can tell you all I want. My job is to be faithful to the word of God and to preach his word and allow his Holy Spirit to speak to your heart and tell you how to live and how to vote and how to do this thing called life, this side of heaven. And so my prayer is not that you would hear any of my words, but that you would focus in on his word and the implications of how he's calling us to live as his kingdom people here as citizens of this amazing country, the United States of America. My door is open. It's a glass door. Offices are over there, South River. You're welcome to talk to me anytime. I recognize that I'm up here and I'm preaching, and so there may be a little bit of distance. If, as you hear, and if there's any tension in your heart as your pastor, I'm here for you. I don't want you to hear me say something, and you're like, well, he said it, so I'm going to believe it. It's okay to wrestle. It's okay to, to struggle through some of this stuff. I'm here for you. So are your leaders of this church. We are passionate, in fact, about this. But we pray that it's not our voice that you hear, but the Lord's. Okay, I got five. That was one. Two, I say it again. This is priority number three. Country is priority number three. And so if your dining table, if your home has been full of political conversations that have divided son against father or brother against sister or grandma against grandpa or however that your family dynamic means, then we need to go back to priority one and work on loving one another and looking at how God ordered the family and how we need to submit to one another, how husbands, you need to love your wives as Jesus loved the church, sacrificing himself for her. That in this body, in this church, we need to mutually submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. And then in the country, we're gonna talk about what submission looks like, how we can posture ourselves in submission. But this is priority number three. When it when it, when it comes to the institutions that God has talked about in the Bible, from Genesis all the way through Revelation, we got family, we have church, and we have country. All those three are, are, are continuous. There is an amazing biblical theology of all those three through the storyline of the Bible. Number three, I'm gonna be preaching out of 1 Timothy chapter two, verse Peter chapter two, and Romans chapter 13. These chapters speak to the church. They're instructions for the church. And so the context of this message is for the church. And so we can't expect somebody that has not yet said yes to Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior to accept the things that God gave to the church. And so we need to remember that he wants all people, just like we're about to read in 1 Timothy 2, 
to be in relationship with him. That is his number one priority. So this message is in the context of God's word for his church. Number four, I recognize the bipolar nature of our political system. And by bipolar, I'm not talking about individual emotional issues of politicians on either side. I'm talking about there's only two sides. There's blue or red. There's Republican or Democrat. And because of that, it is really difficult, it's impossible for the church to say that one is fully right and the other is fully wrong. There are only two sides in the Bible, and that is God and us. And he, Jesus, is the mediator that reconciled us back to the Father. Those are the only two sides. So when we talk about politics, we need to be careful to not say, well, I fully align here or I fully align there. We need to be kingdom people. So in this room, we will not be talking about donkeys or elephants. We will be focusing and talking about the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. That is who we will focus in on and ask how he is calling us to respond to the times that we are living in. And number five, our battle is not against people. If at some point through the chaotic times that we're living in, you have felt a sense of anger or bitterness towards another human being, let me preach to you right now and say, the Lord does not want that. The Lord wants you to be angry against the evil one who has come to steal and kill and destroy and confuse and separate. And so let's not join any, any one of his schemes because God has called us to reconcile one another back to him and one another to one another in the reconciliation of the body. Our battle is not against flesh and blood. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12 says this, For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. And so we combat his, the enemy's spiritual schemes with the gospel, which is spiritual. And today I want to look at 1 Timothy chapter 2 verses one through four, because in it, I believe that we see four ways in how we can navigate all of this. I listened to an amazing passage from a pastor, Tony Evans, you may have heard of him, amazing preacher. And he says that we as believers can't be Republicans or Democrats solely identify as that. We need to identify as kingdom independence. And I love that. And I'm gonna tweak that just a little bit for the purpose of this message because I believe that we need to live as kingdom dependents. We need to be dependent on his agenda and not independent of, say, all of this because when we are dependent on his agenda, then we'll know how to operate here on earth. And so let's look at these four ways in which we can live as kingdom dependence. We're in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. Paul is speaking to Timothy. Timothy was sent to this church, Ephesus. Ephesus was, was full of division and confusion, false teachers in their mix. And, and 
Uh, Paul clearly tells Timothy, I'm sending you to bring order. I'm sending you to bring clarity. And I want you to preach that the gospel is not only a belief or a conviction, it's a lifestyle. And I want you to bring order to this church. That is the, the background of this letter. And then in, verse, uh, in chapter two, verses one, I urge then first of all, that petitions, prayers, intercession, and thanksgiving be made for all people. Let's stop right there because he says that this is urgent. In the same way that Paul says in Romans 12, I urge you then, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy to present yourselves as a living sacrifice. He is saying, I urge then, first of all, he's giving us our number one priority. And what is that? Somebody give it to me. Come on, what is that? To pray. Everyone say pray. That is the first way that we must live as kingdom dependents in this chaotic culture. We need to be a people of prayer. We're going to talk about that. Second, that we may live in peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. So we need to live. We need to live peacefully and quietly, yes, in all godliness and holiness. We need to live as advocates. Everyone say advocate. Advocate, we're gonna talk about what it means to be an advocate, how to live. The third, this is good and pleases God our Savior who wants all people to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. This is our third way we need to remember. Everyone say remember. We need to remember that this is God's primary mission. It's not who we are going to elect as our next leader, it's that our ultimate leader, Jesus, who is the king of kings, the one on the throne, he elected you as a son and a daughter. And he wants all humanity to come into the knowledge of what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. We need to remember that. And once we do all those three things, then we can do the fourth. And that is this posture that we've talked about in the family, in the church, and now in the country. And that is submit. And I'm going to use this word yield very closely. We yield to God. So we're going to talk about pray. I'm going to spend a lot of time on advocate uh, this morning, and then we'll look at remember and yield, and then we will take communion. Pray. We need to be a people of prayer. Cypress Creek Church, when it started in 1993, when Pastor Rob, founding pastor, started this church, he made prayer a priority by hiring the first person on staff, which was our prayer pastor. Isn't that cool? This church prioritizes prayer. And I just think that if, that if we exchanged every post, every argument, every conversation, every thought, all of these negative things towards, you know, with, with politics and everything that's going on, if we transferred those into prayer, I think we'd be living different times. If not out there, then at least in here, we wouldn't be running around like crazy people just... Rah, 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 rah. We'd be like, man, I'm so glad that God is on the throne. I'm so glad that in prayer and through prayer, I can release my, my requests and I can intercede and I can ask God to change things. In 2 Chronicles 7, verse 14, he is clear. If my people who are called by my name, this is God talking to the Israelites, will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then... I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and will heal their land. Did you know that 
Our prayer pastor, Rhonda, has been praying for seven weeks specifically for our nation and for the separation. She's not alone. She has an amazing team of intercessors from this church and others. My hope is that we would join them. And so if you didn't sign up, if you weren't that one person that got that last time slot, just sign up and, and receive the prayer guide and receive the guide so that you can be equipped to do battle God's way through prayer. We will be more effective through prayer than in any other way. I'm convinced. Pray. The second is advocate. Definition for advocate is one who pleads the cause of another. Verse two in 1 Timothy chapter two, that we may live peaceful in quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. So he's asking us to live peacefully and, and we should be living peacefully, but we should also have this all-consuming passion that furthers the gospel. And when we live as peaceful people that do that, that's what changes a city. Right there, our vision statement. We wanna be a community that is built up from, from the things of God and, and, and our passion for the Lord is so obvious that we start changing a city as we advocate not our own agenda, but his. In 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 11 through 12, and then I'll read um, uh, the rest a little later, Peter says, dear friends, I urge you, again, another urgent Verse, as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. So, so Peter is saying, remember that you are not from, you're not created for this earth. You're here, you're, you're in this world, but you're not of it. When I think of quiet and, and peaceful, my mind immediately goes to Amish or Mennonite communities that are incredibly set apart. And I think there's something there, beautiful, this monastic life that's just far away from, I'm just gonna ignore everything that's out there. We're gonna do us, y'all do y'all. But that's not the reality, is it? We need to be living in the world because we need to show the world the way of peace. And so when I think about living good lives among the pagans, this is verse 12, that though they accuse you of, being, of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. I'm gonna talk about issues because biblically, we have a few, well, we have a lot of characters, I'm just gonna name a few, that advocated for God's people. And they were very successful because God was with them. And he's, the people were serving God's purposes in those times. Think about Moses, who advocated for the Jewish people to come out of slavery and into the land that was promised to God. Think about Nehemiah, that was the king's cupbearer that was used to bring the people back from exile into the land. Think about Peter and Paul, who, who, who went against a government that was not uh, uh, excited about the gospel. And they showed bravery and courage and they did so peacefully and quietly. And here's what I mean. Peacefully means doing it out of this sense of peace that you're not, this is not your deal. This is God's deal. And the second is quiet. When we post something on social media on purpose to just make a statement, that's not quiet. That's not gonna change anybody's mind. But when in love, we want to actually say something that benefits somebody else, we start getting places. That's what he means by 
peacefully and quietly. And so let's talk about these issues. See, Moses, Nehemiah, a couple more, Esther, Daniel, they didn't have democracies as their government. They were pretty totalitarian. They were pretty harsh governments to live under. We are blessed because we live in a democracy where we have a voice, we have a vote. We are called to advocate in that way. Super important for the people of God to vote. So how do we vote? That is the question that everyone's disagreeing on. And that's what breaks this, this separation. But I want to be very clear with how to do this because I see three different sets of, of issues that I think once we separate them, we can clearly see that, that God's calling us to, to, to act in a certain way. The first is all of these issues that are really the government's role. What am I talking about? Well, you may not agree with me, but I don't think they're the most important. I'm talking about the enforcement of laws, the economy, taxation, climate change, foreign, foreign policy, healthcare. Those are important, don't get me wrong, but what I'm getting at, those are not the hot button issues that are separating. There's two different sides or three or four, whatever, but you can kind of agree to disagree and still be okay. Our, our, our culture is not being divided by these issues is my point. And so Mark chapter 12, verse 17, Jesus says, give back to Caesar what is Caesar's and to God what is God's. And Jesus is talking about taxes. Just pay taxes. Just, just live in the land. But then there's various social issues that get a little bit more heated. And these are interesting to me because when I read these, they're not the responsibility of the government. It's the responsibility of the church. Let me ask you a few questions. Who is called to take care of the poor? Who's called to take care of the widow? Who's called to take care of the immigrant? And if you don't believe me with that one, just read the book of Ruth. Who's, read the Torah that is clear. Who's called to fight for racial reconciliation? To see that we are all created in the image of God. And that there is neither a, a foreigner, there, there, is, there is no Jew, there is no Gentile. That we are all God's people in one in Jesus. Who's called to care for the orphan? Did you know that in the United States right now, there's 430,000 kids in the foster care system. In the state of Texas, there's 30,000. Do you know how many churches there are in Texas? About 28,000. 2010, I looked it up. Somebody has a better number? Let me know. Why are there still kids waiting for a home to live in? It's not because the government has failed. It's not because of policy. It's because the church has delegated something that is precious to God and waited for the government to act. It is the responsibility of the church to take care of the most vulnerable. It is not the government's responsibility. So when I look at these issues, I don't want to talk about how to vote. What I want to talk about is how we as a church need to live and advocate without worrying about what the politicians say in Austin, Texas, or in Washington, D.C. I care about what Cypress Creek Church does in Wimberley, Texas, and in Hayes County, and in the state of Texas, and in the country, and how we're able to reach a world with his kingdom agenda. That's what we're called to do. 
And you see, it's not only kids in homes that would solve the foster care issue. What we need to do is change generational patterns. We need to reverse what the enemy has meant for evil. And when it is in God's hands, he turns those things into good. And we see lives and families change, not only in this generation, but in the next, and in the next, and in the next. And if you think that is the government's job, it ain't. The only place that can bring about that type of redemption is the Holy Spirit through his body, the local church. We are the hope of the world, not the government. But if we don't act, if we don't advocate, if we just wait and talk and disagree about policy, then weren't we ain't doing it. We need to do it. We need to continue to do it. And this third, if you think that was heated, this third section is the most tense. What am I talking about? I'm talking about a set of issues that our culture has embraced as non-negotiables for tolerance. And if we are a people that call Jesus our king, we need to know what he says about them. We've talked about two out of the three already in this series. I'm talking about faith, the church. We are blessed with the freedom of, of, of religion. We can gather, we can proclaim the name of Jesus freely in this country. I have been blessed, and I mean that, to travel to countries where they don't have that freedom. And there is a sense of mission when you're down there. Because no matter what the government says, you can't stop the gospel from being preached. But in this country, we do have that freedom, and that is not something to take for granted. We need to know that as God's kingdom people, we need to continue to be about his kingdom agenda. Then there's family. That was our first series. Right now in our world, there is an attack on what the family is. There's confusion. There's separation. The Bible is very clear what family is. And as his kingdom people, we need to be about his kingdom agenda and see that from the beginning, he made them male and female. And this, he says, let no man separate. No po political issue. No man can separate what God brought together to continue God's agenda. We see it in Hebrews 12 again, as he chose a family, Abraham, to carry his gospel message through this, his people called the Israelites, and then came Jesus. And if you think that God doesn't care about families or prioritize families, just open up the first verses in the gospel of Matthew. It's all genealogy. You can gloss over. No, no, no. Every single genealogy, don't gloss over it. It means that God loves family. And we need to stand up and know how God calls us to live in family. Okay, so we got two. What's the third? Glad you asked. The third is life. Life is sacred. And there's confusion about who the true author of life is. And the Bible is incredibly clear that we are not the author of life. Psalm 139, verse 13. David, 
is worshiping the Lord. And he's saying, for you, God, created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. As God's kingdom people, we need to be dependent on his agenda and recognize that these are non-negotiables. We need to stand up for, for our faith. We need to stand up for our family and we need to stand up for life. And I want to acknowledge that we are not perfect David wrote these verses. David created, uh, did some heinous things against the Lord, but he repented. And see, it's truth. We're talking about a lot of truth, but there's grace. And so if in you, in your story, some of the stuff is but, but, but this person or my story or somebody else's story, man, God's grace is greater than anything anyone can give you. And God's grace is the best healing agent that exists on this planet. And as your pastor, I want to be a part of that story to see God's grace continue to transform us. We are blessed to have Nick Vujicic in the house. He came two Decembers ago and brought the house down. We saw some pretty cool things happen. Over 90 people gave their lives to Christ on one Sunday. Pretty amazing. And yesterday we were talking and reminiscing about the time that he came to Washington, D.C. when I was working at the Supreme Court. Nick is a wild man. He's wild for God. He does wild things spontaneously. You got to watch out. You got to be ready for it. But it's nothing compared to his Uncle Bata. His Uncle Bata is a crazy person. So we're inside of the Supreme Court, inside of the courtroom, and I'm telling him all the historical facts, all this stuff. And Uncle Bata says, and I won't, I won't be able to imitate a Serbian accent, but I'll try. He says, we must pray. Let's bow to our knees. I did not know what we were going to do. I did not know who was going to walk in. But Uncle Bata, powerful man of God, I will get on my knees. And we put Chronicles, 2 Chronicles 7, 14 into action. And we asked the Lord for forgiveness for the ways that this country has come against his kingdom agenda. For continuing to be a part of the murder of unborn babies for so many years. Powerful moment. And you know, I don't understand what goes on up there. But we need to understand what our responsibility is down here. And that is to be advocates, 
that is not just to sit back and watch other people do the advocacy. The church is the hope of the world. And when the church rises up and recognize that it's not the government's responsibility, but it is our responsibility to be there for the vulnerable and to meet the needs of our city in our country, we will start see things changing. We will start making a dent. We must be the ones. We can't wait for the government to do it. I spent a lot of time on advocates. Let's move right down to remember 1 Timothy 2. We're picking up in verse 3. This is good and pleases God, our Savior, who wants to heal, who wants all people to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. So we need to remember that more so than any political issue, God wants his people to know their creator and their redeemer. That is priority number one. We are ambassadors for Christ, foreigners, exiles, living here. And so we need to remember that before advocating for all of these issues, we need to be advocating for life change. And we need to be advocating for transformation and continual sanctification in our lives and in the lives of those around them. And the last is to yield. Everyone say yield. There is a yield sign in Wimberley. You know which one I'm talking about, 2325 and Rancho 12. And when I'm there, I don't know about you, but my yield is pretty short. Especially if I see just a window of opportunity, I can just zip through and go on my way. I don't want to be caught one lane, two lane road. You know how it goes. There's two types of yields. There's that type of yield, and then there's a really careful yield. I don't want to ask you to raise your hands, but I know we got some really careful yielders, and y'all are wise. Keep it up. <laughs> this is the type of yield that I think God is calling us to here. Because as we advocate and as we remember, we must also yield and take a deep breath before we say anything and take a deep breath before our hearts or our minds struggle with the things that are happening in our culture. We need to submit. 1 Peter 2, verse 13. Now we're picking back up 1 Peter chapter 2. Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake, not because it's you know anything that, that we need to be doing to make ourselves feel good. It's for the Lord's sake to every human authority, whether to the emperor as a supreme authority or to governors who are sent by him to punish those who do wrong and to commend those who do right. For it is God's will that by doing good, you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish people. Live as free people, but do not use your freedom as a cover up for evil. Live as God's slaves. Now, one thing about this that I think Peter gets that we need to get as well is that living as God's slaves is synonymous with living freely. What does that mean? That means that we don't get our freedom from our constitution. As awesome as our constitution is, as noble and way beyond its times and inspired by God, all that stuff, it doesn't even come close to the freedom that we have in Christ. That's where we get our real freedom. And so no matter what type of government we live under, we can still live freely because we yield to the one that gave his life up for us, who has paid the price for our sin, who has done something that we cannot pay or inherit on our own, which is eternal life. Show proper respect to everyone. Love the family of believers. Fear God, honor the emperor. So in conversations, we yield as we agree to disagree and show respect. Everyone say respect. Let's be respectful. 
Let's be respectful. Love the family of believers. Look at the person next to you, even if you don't know them, but you're in the, 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 the Lord's house. Say, I love you. And then look the other way and say, I love you too. Now find the person that you love the least and say, I love you. We need to love the family of believers. This is the place. This is the place where we need to know that what unites us is not where we come from, what we believe about certain issues, but who we belong to. And if there is not love here, how can there be love out there? Romans 13. You've been very patient with me. I'm almost done. Let everyone be subject to governing authorities. This is Paul speaking to Romans 13. Last week, we talked about Romans 12, how we need to operate as the body, as the church. Flip the page, Romans 13, how we operate to our country. Let everyone be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except that which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. Daniel chapter 2, verse 21, it won't be on the screen. It says that he, God, controls the course of world events. He removes kings and sets up other kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to the scholars. Consequently, verse 2 in Romans 13, whoever rebels against the authority is rebelling against what God has instituted. And those who do so will bring judgment on themselves. Think about this. Peter and Paul were crazy like Uncle Bata and Nick. And yesterday, I'm going to H-E-B, and I see someone pull in to M.F. Johnson's driveway, and it's Dave Eubank. And I'm like, Dave! And Dave turns around, and we're in the median, right by H-E-B, you know, in the middle of town. And Dave comes, he's got a burger, Derek Queen. Hey, what's going on, brother, pastor? And he's telling me that he just flew in from Syria last night, and he's coming to see his kids who are in College Station. And I'm like, what is going on in Wimberley, Texas? This is so awesome. God is, is, is everywhere. Okay, but so, so Paul and Peter, that's what I'm saying, crazy people like Nick and, and Dave, just crazy people for Jesus, right? Paul and Peter. The emperor of their time was this guy named Nero. If you don't know who he is, you won't, it won't take you long to research that he absolutely hated and persecuted Christians. So I want you to think about the fact that Paul and Peter, both in Romans 13, and in 1 Peter chapter 2, are asking us to submit to our authorities when they submitted to their authority that ended up murdering them. Peter crucified upside down and Paul beheaded. We can yield, Cypress Creek Church. We can do this. This is God's agenda. This is how he's calling us to live as kingdom dependence, to first pray, to then advocate, to remember, and to yield. At the Supreme Court, on either sides of the courtroom, you can look this up as well, there's all these historical lawgivers. You start with like Hammurabi, you know, Draco, Draconian laws, you know, that guy in there. They're just honoring not the laws, but the, the lawgivers. They're doing the history thing. Uh, Confucius is on there. Moses is on there. Napoleon is on there. A lot of other people. But it always kind of bothered me that Jesus wasn't on there. You know, it's Christian. I was like, any Jesus up there. Jesus belongs in this house. And then one day, I was grateful that he wasn't because Jesus was no lawgiver. Jesus was the one who fulfilled the law. He doesn't belong on a frieze on columns with mere mortals. He is justice. That is the king that is on the throne. That is the one who is in control. 
and worship band, you guys can come back up. He also submitted himself to a Roman governor, to Pilate. You probably know a little bit of the story. And it's interesting because Pilate actually questioned the Jews and the Pharisees and the ruling elite and said, hey, what's going on? Why are you, why are you, why did you bring this guy up here? He's done nothing wrong. And he even said, I'm just gonna punish him and then release him. Then it was the people that spoke up. Now I wanna read from Luke chapter 23, starting in verse 18. But the whole crowd shouted to Pilate, away with this man. Release Barabbas to us. Barabbas had been thrown into prison for an insurrection in the city for murder. Barabbas was a political revolutionary. He wanted to overthrow Roman rule over Israel because he wanted God's kingdom to fully reign on earth. And the people were all about it. We want the violent man. We want the loud one. We want the one that, that, that is abrasive and aggressive and top down. Wanting to be Wanting to release Jesus, Pilate appealed to them again, but they kept shouting, crucify him, crucify him. For the third time he spoke to them. Why? What crime has this man committed? I have found in him no grounds for the death penalty. Therefore, I will have him punished and then release him. But with loud shouts, they insistently demanded that he be crucified and their shouts prevailed. So Pilate decided to grant their demand. He released the man who had been thrown into prison for insurrection and murder, the one they asked for, and surrendered Jesus to their will. They wanted someone to bring about God's kingdom here on earth, their way. They wanted a king to rule over their land when Jesus came to rule in our hearts. But he had to pay the price. He knew what he was doing when he died on that cross. He knew that the type of revolution that he was bringing about was not top down, it was inside out. So my question to you, it's the same question that I asked when we started this series is, is Jesus the king of your heart? Because only then can we live peacefully as his people here on earth. Only then can we live a truly satisfying life, fulfilling life. Only then can we be the fathers and the husbands and wives and grandparents to our family, bosses to those that work under us and employees to those we work brothers and sisters to those in here. It's his order that we follow. So as we move into a time of communion, I wanna look at this bread. And this is not my preferred way of communion. This is the COVID special with these little cups and wafers. We normally have tables that resemble more what we experience as family. And we look at the bread that, that represents the body of Jesus as he willingly gave his body up for us. He suffered the pain to pay the price for the sin that you and I deserve. And, and the cup represents the blood, the blood of Christ that covers us. And when we approach 
the Lord's table, what we are saying is, God, you are the king of my heart, and God, I wanna live your way. So he's calling us to be reconciled, not only to him, but to one another. And so I wanna encourage you, if you have never approached the table and said yes to Jesus, this is an amazing opportunity that we have to have communion with your creator and say, yes, Jesus, I choose your way. I thank you for the price that you paid for my sin. And I say that you now are Lord and King of my heart. And then for others of us that may be dealing with this tension because of the cultural realities that we're living in, maybe he's calling you to reconcile. Go back to the first with maybe a family member or, or someone in here. He's given us a ministry of reconciliation that we need to live out. I encourage you to do it. Let's approach the table of God together. Let's pray. Father, I thank you that you made a way for an imperfect people to be in relationship with the perfect Savior. And thanks to your cross, we are healed, God. I pray for healing in this room. I pray for healing in this nation. But most of all, God, I pray for healing in the hearts of those that are saying yes to you for the very first time. For the ones that are saying, yes, Jesus, I give you all. I lay down my life and submit to you, to yours and allow you to be king of my heart. Father, I pray that as your kingdom people, we would be dependent on your kingdom agenda. We would pray and advocate and remember and yield as you guide us through these days. I do pray for peace and order in our amazing country. Father, I pray for your will to be done this week. And I thank you most of all, that doesn't matter who's in office, that does not change who is on the throne. The King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.